Good morning. We are so grateful that you are here. We've got a lot of folks with us this morning from various uh, parts of life, different areas, a lot of visitors who are with us, some who are not quite visitors, a lot of different folks, and we're just grateful that you're here with us this morning. I'm going to have to ask you to bear with me just a moment as we begin. I've got a few housekeeping things we need to make mention of or want to make mention of. Uh, several of our kids have already noticed, I feel like we need to address, it is a little darker in here this morning. Uh, I know Campbell came up to me and said, is it darker in here? And I said, no, it's not darker. And then I realized it was. I heard Asher say it to Marshall. Uh, we have a light out back here on this side. Uh, not much to worry about necessarily. I, the big news is this corner, I guess, gets the sleeping pass today because they're kind of a little darker over there and they can, can make it a little, uh, uh, but the kids all said, is it darker? And we're all like, I don't think so. But yeah, they notice. Sometimes the kids notice things that we don't. So, uh, but we're grateful for the chance to be here. We're thankful for the building uh, that is here. We had a great men's meeting yesterday morning, <coughs> pardon me, uh, where we talked about a lot of things. We appreciate our men who do so much to keep the building up and going and of course things like that happen from time to time but so many uh, of our deacons and our men who help with the various uh, ways that uh, keep us going around here from week to week we're so thankful. I want to make mention of that as well because we had a great meeting. Uh, any of you men who were not able to be with us we missed you uh, but as always the information that we presented is still available. Uh, you can certainly see one of the elders, uh, the budget and things a lot of, that's available a lot of times during the year. A lot of times I know Bill would take the Sunday after that meeting, and I've kind of done it as well, uh, to talk about some facts and figures and some things. I decided not to do that this year. As I mentioned last week, I've got a lot of sermon topics in the hopper and trying to work through a lot of things, so I wasn't going to pause some of the series we've been going through to do that today, but certainly any questions you have of our elders, of our deacons, of anything, uh, be sure to ask. We just had a great meeting and a chance to uh, present a lot of the material and the work that's being done here, and we just want you to know that and, and to ask any questions you may have. Uh, our family asked for prayers. Uh, your prayers this week as we travel. We'll be heading out to Free Hardeman tomorrow for the Free Hardeman lectures for the week. We won't be here Wednesday night. We do plan to be back by Sunday, though, and so we need to want to make mention as well that next Sunday is going to be a very special day. We do plan to have our regular scheduled services, our regularly scheduled Sunday class, service, lunch, and then a shortened service at 1.30 because we will be hosting the teen singing at 2.30. And we hope to have a, a large crowd here for that. We'll be asking for your help uh, as we provide snacks and things for those folks. So we will have 1.30 service, maybe a little shorter so that we can be done a little after 2. I think last year we did this around August or September, and some folks had kind of rolled in as we were finishing up, but that's all right. They waited, and we finished our service. But we'd love for you to be a part of all day. I know that's a long day uh, for folks, but the teen scene is encouraging and is great, and we want for you to be a part of that as well. We started a series last week talking about prayer, trying to encourage ourselves to think about some ideas that the Bible presents in regards to prayer. And what we said last week was that we were going to take a look at three different lessons. The one last week dealt with our attitude. We talked a little bit about what we should be thinking and what should be going through our mind and, and us personally as we pray. This morning we're going to talk about the action of prayer, our actions in prayer. And this afternoon, if you can be back with us at 1.30, we're going to talk about some answers. And as I've said, I certainly don't have all the answers, but some questions have come up that we can answer together. I will also tell you that we're going to shift our thinking a little bit this afternoon to the regards of public prayer versus private prayer. And that's not good or bad. It's just kind of the nature that we do pray in private. But we also have opportunities to pray in public. 
Certainly our men do more in the worship service setting here, but you ladies do from time to time in class or ladies' days or things. And so it helps us to consider some questions that might come up in regards to, to public prayer as well. And so this morning, as we think about our action, we said last week that there is no magic formula to get your prayer heard by God, right? We don't have to, God's not waiting, sort of half listening, and he's waiting for this magical phrase. And as soon as we say that, then it unlocks God to hearing our prayers. That's not true. This morning, I'd like for us to consider that there is no special stance to getting your prayer heard. You don't have to be in one type of, of standing or, or one type of kneeling or anything like that. There's not one particular type of action, again, that unlocks God hearing our prayers. But that being said, let's consider this morning some actions that we might find helpful. What I'd like for us to do this morning is take some of those W questions that you talk about in school, right? You learn about the who and the where and the when and the what. We're going to talk about some of those. For the sake of time, we're going to kind of skip over the who and the why. Because those are maybe a little bit easier in some ways. The who, of course, involves us. We are praying, and the who also involves God. We're not praying to a statue. We're not praying to the ceiling. We're praying to God, the almighty creator of everything. And so it's us praying to him. That kind of leads into the why, then. Why do we pray? Well, it is our way of communicating. It's our way of having a relationship with God. As was mentioned, and we've been mentioning, we're getting ready, several of us, to attend a marriage retreat here in just a few weeks. But anyone who's been in any kind of relationship, while we focus on marriage sometimes and the relationship between a husband and a wife, if you have friends, if you have a boss, if you interact with anyone, and try to have a relationship beyond the surface level, right? You may not have a relationship with the cashier at Walmart or, or the grocery store because you say, hey, how are you? I'm good. And then you go on your way, right? Very surface level. But if you're going to have a relationship, you have to communicate and communicate deeper than just that exchange. If we want to have a re relationship with God, we need to us, ourselves, pray to him. That's who's involved here. Why? So that we can have that relationship so that we can communicate and we talked a little bit in the about the why last week in our attitude lesson why we pray to him what we're trying to accomplish so then let's move on from those but let's consider a few more of those questions this morning first of all where where should we pray and the most beautiful answer to me when it comes to this is anywhere Anywhere. Now, if you have your Bibles, you may want to be opening to Matthew chapter 6. We spent some time there last week, and we'll be examining that passage again in several points this morning. But the answer to where, where is it in our actions that we are to pray, the answer is very simple, yet so profound, in that we can pray anywhere. I think that every person in attendance this morning knows that. But can I ask you if you've considered that? Have you really pondered that? How wonderful is it that we can pray anywhere? I know that these little devices that we carry around with us have kind of changed the idea that we can communicate with anyone, anywhere, at any time. But some of you may remember when you couldn't just text someone or call someone just at the spur of the moment. 
We, weren't, we didn't have that kind of connection. But guess what? Even before those devices came along, we could have that kind of connection with God. Have you pondered the idea of how wonderful it is? Have you considered that? We don't have to go to Jerusalem to pray. You might say, well, then we'd never pray. Well, yes, obviously, us here, we would never pray. We don't have to come to this building. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever wondered what would happen if we turned through Scripture and it said, you can only pray when you're inside the church building or on the front pew? How often might you find yourself at work or at the store and you find out some saddening, disturbing news and the first thing you think is, I've got to get to the church building in order to pray to God? We don't think that way. We don't have to. Or what about the fact that we're also going to mention that Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6 that we are to pray in our room? What if the Bible suggested or told us that that was the only place that we could pray? I know Jesus says here that's where we're supposed to kind of go. We'll get to that in a second. But what if that was the only place? You're at work and your wife texts you and says one of the kids is going to the hospital by ambulance. Something has happened and you say, oh, I wish I could go home first so I could go into my closet and pray because that's the only place I can pray. That's not what God has told us. There is not one location we have to be in. Consider in the Bible even. While Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 6, in the Bible we see prayer in the temple. We see prayer on the battlefield. We see prayer in a closet, in a garden, on a mountaintop, on a housetop, in prison. Prayer is offered in all sorts of locations. I mentioned to you last week that I used to love my drive from Amnicola back to Dunlap each day when I worked where the, for the steel place that I worked for before because I could pray in the car. Yes, in my car. Many of you have probably done that. No, not eyes closed, right? Not head bowed as I'm trying to drive down the road. But I could stop and have a moment of prayerful attitude, of praying and communicating with God. Do you remember here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, as Jesus is setting up the model prayer, he talks about praying alone and praying in your room. And can I suggest to you this morning that maybe this should be our go-to move. This should be our go-to place, praying in your room. This should be our habit. The only place, no, no, don't misunderstand, but maybe it should be our habit. There is nothing wrong with praying in a group. There's nothing wrong with praying in a public setting, praying with your spouse or your kids, but I think it should be our habit that we pray, as Jesus says, in secret. Remember the warning that verse 5 bears for us from the mouth of Jesus that they, right, and we talk about the group they, we don't want to be a part of that, but they pray how? Where? To be seen by men. Don't be like that. Don't be that way. Turning your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3 for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. Before we move off this point, I want to share one thought with you. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3. As we consider our idea of prayer and where we pray, I remember as a teenager going to a youth retreat. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I remember going as a teenager on this youth retreat 
And one of the speakers said, do you know God's phone number? Do you know God's phone number? And they said, God's phone number is 333. And they pointed out this passage, and we turned to it together, and we read it as we've done this morning. And I look back on that, and sometimes I think, well, maybe that's a little trite. I, I don't know, but maybe not. The message of Jeremiah 33, 3 is God says, call me, and I will answer. When someone asks you for your phone number, what are they expecting to do? They're expecting to be able to communicate with you. They're essentially saying, you can call me, and I will answer you. And so maybe in that regards, I'm not trying to bring it down to too low of a level, but maybe in that regards, this is a wonderful passage to remind us that God says, and not just in this place, but in so many, call to me and I will answer you. Anytime, anywhere, we can have communication with the Father. How wonderful and special that is. Number two, let's consider what? What is it about prayer? Now, as you see here on the screen, it's a mention of what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I would invite you again to come back at 1.30. We're going to talk in more detail this afternoon about some of the what in regards to prayer. What we do, what we say. But we talked last week about this. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's no caveat there. There's no, well, you can't pray for this, and you should pray for that, but not for this. In everything, in everything, let your requests be made known to God. We often sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The question I usually ask you is, do you mean it when you sing it? Do you truly take anything to the Lord in prayer? There are so many examples in the Bible that we won't have time to look at all of them of what we can and should pray for. One of the most, of course, well-known passages is James chapter 5. If you're there in the New Testament, James chapter 5, verse 15, we need to pray for the sick. James 5 and verse 16, we need to pray for one another. James chapter 1 and verse 5, we need to pray for wisdom. And even in trouble, we need to pray. The beautiful example of Jesus as he did, even to exertion in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44 with sweat like drops of blood. Have we prayed in trouble, in trial, in temptation, for sickness and in health? for wisdom, for one another. The list goes on and on of things that we should pray for. But the what, interestingly enough to me, is as wide open as the where. If we can pray anywhere, we can bring anything to God. The question is, do you believe that God hears you? Do you believe that God hears you when you pray? Do you believe that he answers. If the answer is yes, take it to the Lord in prayer. Everything, take it to God in prayer. Now again, we're going to hone in this afternoon on public versus private prayer. 
There's a time maybe to pray scripture. There's a time where some folks sit down and they pray through the Psalms. There may be other times to pray to God about certain things. Probably prayer is not often when we should try to preach a sermon, right? God doesn't need a sermon preached to him. But at other times, we might pray through Scripture. There's a certain time or a time to pray certain things, maybe in certain ways. And again, that's what we're going to focus on a little bit. But what? I think it's wonderful that we see in Scripture that it's as wide open as the where. Pray any time and pray about anything. I remember as a teenager again, the example we always use, right, was are you allowed to ask God to help you in taking this test, right? As we always said, you know, is that wrong to ask God to help you with this test? We'd say, well, no, not in one sense. It might be a little selfish or wrong to ask God to give you the answers, even if he did work that way. But for God to give you strength or courage or help in a time of trial or a time of struggle, no. We can take anything to him. What should we pray? So many examples of so many things in Scripture that encourage us to take anything. What about how? What about how? I know this is not that W question, but we sometimes include that in when we talk about those different questions. What about how? Once again, as we read Scripture, there are multiple positions or stances in prayer. We go even as far back as Genesis chapter 24 and verse 13. And in Genesis 24 and verse 13, we see that Abraham's servant is standing. He's standing as he's going to be praying, saying this prayer to God. So we sometimes stand in prayer. Nothing wrong with that. Standing. We also see from Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 the idea of kneeling. Do you remember that Daniel is where? Where's Daniel first of all? What's our habit? He's in his room, right? Jesus said it, but Daniel was practicing it long before Jesus came to this earth. But where is Daniel? He's in his room. What's he doing? He's kneeling in prayer. Three times that day, as was his custom, he kneels in prayer to God. And what about Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 39? You know, I typed that into the slide as I was making my slides here. I thought that looks kind of weird just to say on your face, right? But do you remember the example of Jesus there in Matthew chapter 26? He's fallen on his face. And he prays. He's in the garden, of course. He's in the garden of sorrow. He's in the garden of struggling as he knows what is coming and he's about to lay down his life. Have you ever knelt and maybe even fallen on your face in prayer? So, yes, the Bible is pretty open to how you stand. The actual action. I said this lesson is about action. Here are some different ways that you can act in prayer. But do not forget the warning of Jesus there in Matthew chapter 5 about being seen by men. Can I challenge your thoughts? Jesus says there, I said it wrong just a moment ago, Matthew chapter 6, excuse me. But I, I said it just a moment ago, can I challenge your thoughts to be careful not to pray to be seen by men? And let me illustrate is there anything sinful about raising your hands in prayer? I don't think so. Is there anything sinful about opening your eyes while you're driving or opening your eyes and bowing your head and not bowing your head, excuse me, not bowing your head in prayer? Again, I would say no, not inherently 
sinful. The question that you have to answer, though, is what is your attitude when you're praying? You don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to be on your face. But what was Jesus and Daniel showing in a way when they did that? They were showing their attitude. They were showing humility. And let me ask you, who were they around when they did those things? Well, Jesus, the Bible tells us, was by himself. He had left the apostles. They were sleeping, right? And he left and he's by himself. Daniel is in his room by himself. I'm not suggesting that you can only pray on your knees or on your face when you're alone. I'm not suggesting that you cannot ever raise your hands or that your eyes must be closed about every time, but I am suggesting that we be honest enough to consider our attitude, our heart in these things. Some people might raise their hands, as some people did that Jesus described in Scripture to be seen by men. Some folks do those things so that they can only be seen. The Bible doesn't say your eyes must be closed. Your Bible doesn't say your head must be bowed. But do you remember the place that we see a head being bowed? If you have your Bible, look in Luke chapter 18 and verse 13 and remind yourself. Luke 18 verse 13. Where's the place that we see? Probably not the only one. Again, we mentioned Jesus was was bowed down on his face. Luke 18 and verse 13. Who's the person who we see the position of a head bowed in prayer? It's the tax collector, right? He's been contrasted with the Pharisee. The Pharisee is standing. Is it wrong to stand? Well, I hope not. Or else just a few moments ago, we got a problem with Ricky. I picked on Travis last week. We got a problem with Ricky, right? Because Ricky was standing. Is he wrong? I don't think so. But the Pharisee was standing. What's the tax collector doing? He has his head bowed. Why does Jesus tell this parable? Is it to say that standing is wrong and kneeling and bowing your head is right? Or is it to talk about the attitude? To say that that man who is standing is standing on the street corner to be seen and the man who is kneeling and bowing his head is beating his chest as a humble servant saying, I am a sinner and I need you. How should you pray? We need to remember our humble spirit. Is that what we are doing? How do you pray? Well, there are lots of positions, but what's the position of your heart, your attitude when you pray? Let's finish with the when. When should you pray? Well, I'm going to give you two S words here. The first is scheduled. You need to pray on a schedule. Does that mean that at 8 o'clock is the only acceptable time? Or 12 o'clock, or what time was it a few moments ago, of 10.55? Is that the only acceptable time to pray? Of course not. But having set times to pray can help develop a habit of prayer. I don't know if you've ever studied habits before. I read part of a a book about habits. We just purchased one uh, for our family that's been good to talk about habits of the household or habits of the home. Have you ever heard a preacher talk about spiritual disciplines? Those are to encourage habit making. To have a habit of prayer can help us with prayer. To have a schedule. David was called a man after God's own heart. Psalm 55 and verse 17. He had a habit of praying. 
Daniel, we've already mentioned Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Daniel is called by an angel of the Lord, O man greatly beloved. Why can these things be said about them? Because they were people who prayed habitually. They had a schedule of prayer. So in a sense, they made it a habit to pray at set times during the day. And can I say it would not hurt to imitate them in our lives. We often sing about praying morning, noon, and night. That's encouraging. Make it your habit. Wake up and make it your habit first thing in the morning to pray. Do you have to get on your knees by the bed? Do you have to pray for five minutes? Or can you simply begin with a a short time of prayer? I would say that most of us, most of you, are like me, that it's easy to reach over and to grab that device and to instantly get back into the world of whatever's going on around us. May it be our habit to begin in prayer, maybe even before touching one of these things, but also just in general. Schedule times of prayer help us with those habits and hopefully make a life of praying. At the very least, make time each day to spend time in prayer. But can I suggest to you secondly, when should you pray? It should be spontaneous. Prayer should not just be limited to set times. In fact, I would suggest, if you're like me, I sometimes struggle because when my prayer life is not what it should be and then I find out that I need to pray for someone or something in particular, when my prayer life has not been as good as it has been, I get a message from Charles and he says, hey, somebody's in the hospital and you need to pray for them. You know what I struggle with? struggle with thinking, I've not brought anything else to God in a long time. And while I know I need to pray for this person, I know that I've not been doing what I need to do. Scheduled prayer is good. It keeps us in that habit. So that when the times come along that spontaneous prayer is necessary, it's a good thing. And we fall right into that habit of praying. Jesus, of course, in Luke chapter 6, spent all night in prayer before selecting his apostles. Acts chapter 16 Paul and Silas prayed in prison when faced with trying circumstances. Our kids are about to study Nehemiah beginning this afternoon in the Bible Bowl. Nehemiah chapter 2, when Nehemiah is before the king, he prays silently. It seems as if on the spur of the moment, he just prays. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, the Israelites pray on the battlefield. They pray in the heat of battle when they know they need to turn to God. We should pray whenever and however the occasion calls for it. Of course, the encouragement from Paul is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. Pray without ceasing. If you pray morning, noon, and night, and in the middle of the morning when you find out about somebody that needs prayer and you pray, and then later in the evening when you're home and you pray, then it's just going to be a life of prayer. And you would be someone that we would say is praying without ceasing. We know the who and that's us praying to God. We know the why. But hopefully this morning you've considered the where, the what, the how, and the when. Some of the actions regarding prayer. I'm going to ask you now, if you would, go ahead and put your Bibles away. Maybe pull your songbook out if you'd like to use the songbook as we sing in just a moment. Because we do need to consider as we pray 
The important question for each one of us is, are you able to communicate with the Father? Think about it and let me ask again. Are you able to communicate with the Father? You can only communicate with the Father if you have a relationship with Him. We extend heaven's invitation at the end of our services because the possibility exists that there's someone this morning who doesn't have a relationship with the Father. You're not a child of God, so you're not able to communicate with Him in the same way as someone who is. And so we stop, even at the end of a lesson on prayer, and extend heaven's invitation. In connection with what we're talking about, it's so that you can pray with confidence anywhere, anytime, about anything. But as you examine yourself this morning, maybe you're here and you're not a child of God because you've never put Christ on in baptism. We sing to encourage you that you would do that, that you would then be added to the church by the Lord and begin with the family, in the body, having that privilege, the privilege of prayer. was a whole other lesson we could have looked at about how wonderful it is to be able to go to Him, but we can only do that when we're right with Him and we have the right relationship. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, we sing to encourage you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've wandered away. Maybe that relationship is not strong because there's separation. You know what happens in our earthly relationships, right? We could all go through our, we could all go through our phone and think about friends from jobs or, or college or whatever it might be. And some of them we're not as strong with. Why is that? Because time separates us. Distance separates us. Somebody moves away. The beautiful thing about our relationship with God is the only thing that separates us from Him is our sin. That's not a beautiful thing, but it's beautiful because we can know how to rectify it. We know how to fix it. If you're a child of God this morning, you've had that privilege of prayer. Maybe your sin has separated from you from him and you need to come back to him. We're thankful that we can confess our sin, repent to him and pray for forgiveness. And he is just to do, to, just to do just that so that we can walk in the light as he is in the light. The song that we're about to sing is about being in need of a savior. Are you in need of a savior? to cleanse you of your sins so that you can be a child of God? Are you in need of a Savior to help you in your communicating with God? Jesus is willing. He shed his blood. He wants to welcome you in. The Father wants to welcome you in to become a child of God or come back to him even now as we stand together and as we sing. I hope that you mean that as you sing it. We always try to encourage ourselves by asking that question, try to think about what we are singing. We're going to emphasize this afternoon the necessity that we pay attention to what we're doing, that we be thinking people about what we say and what we do, that we think critically at times. This morning in our young adult college age class, we talked about reading scripture and reading it critically, trying to understand when we come across something, not that it's just pointless or doesn't mean anything, but that it should mean something and we may have to dig a little deeper to try to figure out exactly what it is that's being said. The term in particular that we were looking at this morning from James chapter 5 is the phrase last days. You've heard that, but we need to understand sometimes what's being talked about. I know in our auditorium class before on Wednesday nights, we've talked about Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus is speaking. Is he talking about the destruction of Jerusalem? Is he talking about the end of days? What's he talking about? You've got to think critically. And so we ask ourselves and try to encourage ourselves to do that with our singing. When you sang that song just a moment ago, did you really mean it? God will take care of you. That's a song that we're not singing to God. We often just sort of, again, lump in and say, well, we're singing, we're singing to God. In a sense, yes, in a sense, our singing is to honor Him. 
But when we sing a song, God will take care of you, we're not telling that to God. We're singing that to admonish one another, to encourage one another. So did you mean it? And did you mean it when you sang it as in do you even feel that way? I don't think that anyone here does, is, is here and doesn't believe that God doesn't listen, that God's not paying attention. I think we all know that. But sometimes we go through those lulls, through those valleys, through those struggles where we need to be picked up. Many of you have talked about the lessons that we've been having, and we appreciate uh, that and the encouragement that hopefully it's been for you. Uh, but we just need to realize that while everything we've talked about with prayer is not something that we'll face all the time, there are times where we feel confident and we're better. But as I try to even admit a little this morning, I struggle, as we might all do from time to time, with a weakness in prayer or not giving time to prayer. So we just need to remember all of these things that we have talked about. I appreciate Don's songs uh, this afternoon, not just that one, but all that we've been singing here this afternoon, thinking about prayer. As I've mentioned, what I'd like for us to do this afternoon is to consider some answers in prayer. Not that I have all the answers, and not even that these may be answers to questions that you've asked. Some of these you may say, well, I, I know the answer to that. I, you know, I don't find that very difficult. Maybe a couple of them will strike you as something that maybe will just get you to think a little bit. And as I said, we're going to kind of finish there in just a moment with that reminder about being thinking people. Uh, so these may be difficult, they may not, but I've got about four things I'd like for us to consider together. We're going to have several passages to turn to, so if you, especially if maybe you don't take notes, don't like to take notes, that's fine. You can have your Bible open and we'll be looking at several passages, and you may already guess. You can turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, because we're certainly going to examine the model prayer in a couple of different instances here together this afternoon. Uh, the first question that I, the way I tried to phrase it, is who do we pray to when, when we pray? Who do we address when we pray? If you remember in Matthew chapter 6, that's the most common place we think about because it's there in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching about prayer. In fact, in verse number 5, as he takes this change from doing good he is continuing the same thought of what is done privately and openly, right? We emphasized that this morning, that part of what he's saying is to be seen by men or to be done in secret. So that is a continuation from chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. But in verse 5, he just begins to talk about when you pray. Now, if you remember last Sunday morning when we talked about prayer, we also went over to Luke 11 because there is Luke's account of the model prayer. And when Luke records it, it's... The apostles have asked Jesus. They've directed a question to him. They have said, or maybe I guess not a question, but this instruction, Lord, teach us to pray. How do we pray? So I think it is encouraging for us to realize that when Jesus says then, here is how you should pray, specifically Matthew 6 verse 9, in this manner, therefore pray, when he begins by saying, our Father in heaven, that should be a key about who we need to address when we pray. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6 that we've talked about this morning. Let your request be made known to God. Again, specifically, not trying to make things always that this is only it or this is something that we need to ignore on the extreme, but just very plainly, our Father in heaven, let your request be made known to God. I believe, I believe this is how we should pray. We should address our Father, God our Father, in this way when we pray. 
However, in a connecting way, we also know from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 that whatever you do in word or deed, we're to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We might say, by the authority of Jesus, everything. That gets back to what we said this morning, though. As wide as some of these topics are, everything should be done. You mean when we come to worship, when we sing, as Paul talks about in Colossians 3, 16? Yes. When we pray, yes. When we're at the store, yeah, at work, on the sports field, whatever it might be, I don't know what else to tell you. Everything you do in word or deed, that means everything. And it includes when we pray. Or what about Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 20? Paul would write there to those in Ephesus, Ephesians 5, 20. Giving thanks always, and here's our phrase, for all things, for all things, notice, to God the Father, we give thanks to God the Father, as we've already talked about addressing him, but how? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember, as we've talked about for two weeks now, do you remember that magic formula that we've talked about? Remember that magic formula that we've actually said doesn't really exist when it comes to prayer? We don't read in Scripture of every person praying or concluding their prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. But is that a great way to pray? Absolutely, I believe so. Is it the best way to pray? Absolutely, I believe so. So when we pray, we address God, but we also pray through the authority or by the name of Jesus. We must also be careful that when we talk about these things, though, as we always say, we don't go too far, too wide, and we don't go too narrow. People will try to draw lines. They'll try to say things that these things are explicitly wrong. We want to be within the boundaries of Scripture. So this question comes up as well because some people ask, is it okay to pray to Jesus? And I would say, just simply emphasize the things we've already said. I think we can go too far one way or the other. I would suggest that we be careful not to go too far, but that we examine what Scripture says. We have already touched on what Jesus said and what Paul said. We read about praying to God. We should address the Father. I believe that. Let's look at two other passages, though, in connection. First of all, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 34. Romans 8, 34. Romans 8, 34. Paul is saying, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Bob is one I know in particular, lots of our men do it, but Bob is one in particular that almost always talks about praying, praying through the name of Jesus and how he intercedes for us. That's what Paul says here. One more, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. As some of you know, some people say that Paul was the writer of Hebrews. Others say, you know, we can't know for sure. Uh, it might be interesting if he was to connect these two both ways. He's talking about uh, here Jesus' role. Verse 4, and you may go back to verse 14, chapter 4, back through verse 14, talking about Jesus being our high priest, our intercessor. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's that word that we emphasize, therefore. 
when Paul says, or the Hebrew writer says, let us come boldly, what is the therefore? Therefore, it's there because we go back and see that Jesus is our high priest. As Paul would say there in Romans 8, he is our intercessor. He is the one that allows us to be able to go to the Father, to approach the Father. We've even been talking on Wednesday night how the Holy Spirit helps with our infirmities, groans with us as we try to pray to God. So Jesus is, in a sense, a part of it. He is our mediator, our intercessor. As we have already said in this hour, and we say quite often, words matter. We need to pay attention to our words, even in prayer. Now, does that mean, similar to how I usually use the example, someone says we're going to church, and somebody else says we don't go to church, we are the church, right? Does that mean that every time we say that, that God you know, hates it and we're, we're sinning? I don't think so. But words do matter, and we should be careful in how we speak. So, does that mean that God won't forgive us if we flub up or we say something incorrectly in our prayer? I don't think so. But especially, he would understand and forgive if we are striving to be people who are speaking clearly with clear words. What does that get back to? We said this morning, our attitude, our heart. It may not be a sin to speak to Jesus in a way, but when we pray, we pray to God and we pray through Jesus. And it's borne out in several of the verses we've looked at and others. Now, I was even reading a, a you know, scholarly writer earlier this week. Who, who makes a pretty compelling argument that there are a couple passages in Scripture, including, including where Stephen is praying as he's about to, or he's being murdered, when he looks up that he prays to Jesus in a very short kind of way, says, Lord. And so, you know, we could go all afternoon on this, but I want you to understand that, that when we talk about praying, of course, the example from Christ and from Paul is we pray to God. We address the Father, and we pray through the authority of Jesus, understanding we're doing our best, but we're not just saying, well, I tried, I did my best, but I'm actually trying to use correct words, correct terms to pray in the best way. And once again, there may be more that can be said on that. And with all of these, admitting full well, I don't have all the answers, we could be willing to discuss any of these things as we go on further. All right, I promised you this morning that we were going to talk a little bit about public and private prayer. So is there a difference in public and private prayer? The short answer, of course, is I believe yes, there is a difference. Now, one thing that we've already mentioned through these lessons is Jesus says to pray in private. He doesn't necessarily say don't pray in public, that it's wrong to pray in public, but he does emphasize praying in private. So, maybe another way to phrase the question is, does that mean there is something wrong with a person leading public prayer? If you have your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I don't feel... And some of this is what Joel thinks or feels, but I don't feel like we can say that it is wrong, certainly for a person, to take the lead, so to speak, in leading a group in prayer. As I mentioned, I picked on Ricky this morning, but we know Ricky's already done it. We've already had it done by Heath this afternoon, so are, are we wrong in what we're doing? If Jesus says don't pray in public, well, I obviously don't think so because we've been doing that, been doing it for some time, and we'll continue. Even though Jesus emphasizes private, what is the nature of public prayer? In Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, remember that Paul and Silas are praying. Now, I don't think that they're probably both praying at the same time, right? Kind of talking over each other and competing, almost back to that idea of speaking in tongues that we've talked about on Wednesday night. Some people say that speaking in tongues is the babbling, and maybe you've got different people kind of babbling over each other. That, I don't think they're both trying to you know, garner attention and both speaking at the same time. 
I also don't think in a way that they're probably sitting there uh, uh, quietly, just silently in prayer together, you know, maybe in different corners of the prison cell and looking the opposite ways, just only silently. So I would think then in some way, maybe one of them or both of them are taking turns leading, as we say, in a public type of way. Only two people maybe, or maybe others who are gathered around or, or nearby, we don't know, but leading in a bit of a public way. I don't think they're possibly talking over one another so much that a person that was walking by says, well, I don't understand what they're saying. They're just kind of, you know, talking gibberish in there together. Look in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 and verse number 12. Do you remember in Acts chapter 12 that Peter has been in prison? While Peter is in prison, that angel of the Lord visits him and Peter is able to escape. We read in verse number 5 of Acts 12 that the church was in prayer for Peter. In fact, the New King James says it is constant prayer for Peter. Did that mean they assembled at the building or in someone's home together? I don't know. It doesn't say that. Could it be that each person individually was praying in their private prayer life? Absolutely. But in verse 12, it does tell us that where many were gathered together praying, we see the church was gathered together. Again, is this a wild scene where if you walk by that house, everybody's talking at the same time and praying out loud? I would think not. I would think not. In fact, do you remember Paul's encouragement in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is given instructions about the Lord's Supper. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to pull anything completely out of conduct, uh, context here. But 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17 and going through verse 34, the end of the chapter, Paul's encouragement about taking the Lord's Supper, do you remember what it was? He explains that things should be done in a proper manner. I want you to remember that word because we're fixing to emphasize it a lot the rest of the lesson. What's proper? What would not be proper probably is everyone talking over each other and all trying to pray and some people are speaking louder so they can be heard and that kind of thing. In fact, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 40 to know a phrase that many of, to say a phrase many of you know well. Let all things be done decently and in order. So as we've thought about examples where people might have been praying publicly, we think about not only about Paul's example here, but all throughout Scripture that things be done properly in a way in which they can be understood. In fact, I skipped over it, but do you remember in 1 Corinthians 12 and even into 13 and 14 that what Paul is talking about when it comes to tongues is that you're not just supposed to be over here babbling in the corner with your tongues where nobody can understand. That's distracting. That's not beneficial. That's great if you can speak in tongues, but you need someone to interpret so that things are done for the edifying of others. It's not just running around wild and crazy. Can I suggest that in my opinion, again, I think we can find some examples to apply to prayer here, that we don't all pray individually out loud. Maybe you do take a moment of private prayer as you, as you sit in service, but that for, there might be someone who is leading us in a public way. That can happen. That should happen just so much as well as our private prayer can and should be done. The key word here that I want to emphasize through those last couple of questions and for all of these thoughts is something that is not fun necessarily to think about, but I think it's just true, and that's appropriate. You say, well, why is that not fun? Well, because sometimes we don't like to be appropriate, right? We like to have fun and, and, and kick back and relax and laugh and those kinds of things. But other times we like it when people are appropriate. There's an appropriate way to act 
at, say, a funeral. There's an appropriate way to act when you're around someone who is, has more authority than you. You know, we use the examples of the government and things. There's an appropriate way to act. There's an appropriate way to act as you approach the throne of God. There's an appropriate way to act when we assemble here together. Let things be done decently and in order. When we think about being appropriate, I say it's not fun. I'm being a little facetious there, but, it, but it's, it's what's proper. It's what's fitting. And yeah, sometimes we may not like to do that, but we need to find what is appropriate when it comes to these questions. Let me give you an example and sometimes we live in the extremes, and I only use the extremes to try to help draw our mind back to what might be appropriate. So I think it was last week I picked on Travis, and I joked about uh, using a clock to, to clock his prayer and how long it was. By the way, he texted me later and said if I did that, I think he texted me an emoji of a hammer. He'd take a hammer to my clock uh, if I tried to time him, so it's what he said he would do. But, you know, we're, we're joking about that, but let me ask you, Okay. Is a two-minute prayer acceptable? And most people would say, absolutely, without a doubt, no question. Is an hour-long prayer acceptable in a public kind of setting like this? And somebody might say, no way at all. If somebody prayed an hour, they would raise their head up and everybody would be gone, right? Everybody would have already left the auditorium. All right? Then let's just start bringing it in. What about five? What about ten? What about 45? What about 30? And I'm being a little facetious or, or extreme in the examples to try to get you to think, but we have to decide sometimes what is appropriate. The question three here is not really a question, but let's just talk for a couple of minutes about some maybe best practices as we think about some of these things. I, I've got just a, a couple of here, a couple here that I'd like to mention to you for your consideration. There may be some topics that need to be handled appropriately. Not totally avoided, but handled with the appropriate, proper care in the right setting. In 1 Timothy, I almost said Thessalonians, excuse me, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Paul says, I exhort that prayers be made for all men, but more specifically for kings and all who are in authority. I think most of us agree on this level of extremism and what's appropriate that we should pray for our leaders. In fact, we're very thankful quite often when our men pray for our leaders, both locally, on a country kind of level, and all those things. As a best practice, I don't know that carrying on and using public prayer as a way to rant about a particular party or a particular person or a particular message is the best way to handle for praying about our leaders. Or praying for our leaders. You may say, I got that. That's not a question for me. I understand. I, I'm not thinking of any particular example other than we want to strive in all things. We should pray for our leaders. We might also be willing to mention something specifically that's going on in our country. I'm not against that. But it might be easy for someone, and let's think about it again, who has the wrong attitude to be draw, drawing attention to themselves to make it a show to pray for some of these certain things in a certain way and we have trouble sometimes judging people's intent other times we can say I think that's probably gone a little too far that wasn't appropriate to to speak about all of those things let's kind of connect the dots or, or keep going and on that line of thinking as we mentioned this morning I don't think it's wrong to pray for lots of things our sick our leaders, as we just said, our struggles, our thanksgiving, thanksgivings. And I would not think that it would be wrong to mention some of those things specifically. 
draw your mind back to the time of September 11, 2001. We didn't just stand here and people say, God, there's something going on. We know you know what it is. That's it, right? We don't want to mention it because we don't want to talk about politics or, or the news or anything. We talked about 9-11. We talked about those who had been attacked and these kinds of things, those who had died. I think about if there's been a tragedy in Chattanooga. Of course, we had this situation, you know, several years ago where there was the shooting that killed several, uh, all that was very public, but, but something like that. We would pray publicly specifically for that. We would not just say, dear God, you know there's something going on around us, and we don't want to say it, but, we, you know, we would, say, we would say specifically what that is. We would reference that in prayer. But back to our, our idea, excuse me, of being appropriate, we don't have to always tell God every bit of news or every bit of headline that's going on. Now, the, remember what these best practices, what I'm encouraging you to think about, is the difference sometimes in public and private prayer. I firmly believe as we have a habit of, of private prayer that we take everything to God in prayer, as we said this morning, all kinds of things. As we think about public prayer, it's not so much that I believe that it should only be two minutes, and if you go on and on about the news, then, then that's a, the problem for me. You know, it's cutting into my time and all that. But I do also understand you're, you're praying for everyone, in a sense. You are leading our thoughts in prayers. What about this? I told you we'd mention this this afternoon. Is it okay to pray Scripture, to, to quote Scripture to God? Now think about what I'm saying there. I think certainly privately. I had a dear friend of mine who recently told me that he is trying to, to encourage a group of men in his congregation, kind of starting like a group of men, you know, uh, studying together, encouraging one another, that kind of thing. And he said, we have each picked a psalm to pray through through the month. You know, I'll pick one, these men will pick one, and we'll all pray through that, pray that psalm and try to take encouragement from that. I think that's wonderful. I think that can be a great thing to do. But let's go back to our extremes for a moment. What if a person prays the first psalm in public? What if a person prays the 119th psalm in public, right? Now, I know how many of you know how long the 119th psalm is, you know, those who are, who are chuckling at that, right? Because it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And, and who's going to stand before an audience and quote or read the 119th psalm in front of the crowd? Well, it might be someone whose attitude is not in the right place. Can we know that? I don't know. Is it appropriate to pray all 100 and how many ever verses it is in Psalm 119, or is it wrong to quote scripture at all? We've got to try our best to be appropriate. We've got to try our best to avoid extremes, but to just simply do what's proper and to think about the setting in which we're praying both publicly and privately. I mentioned with my the young people this morning there in the class, I just simply want to put some things before your thoughts sometimes to get you to think about it. I'm not saying I'm the judge and I, I know all that I've got, you know, the answer to two minutes to an hour or whatever. I simply think that if we're always striving to think critically and to be appropriate, we're going to be on the right track. One more question here, and it fell off just a little bit there. Sorry about that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 one more time. As we've thought about both our attitude and our action, Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13, thought about both our attitude and our action, and we've asked some, some questions about best practices, one that sometimes comes up is, what about the Lord's Prayer? Are there any issues with the Lord's Prayer? Right? We mention it here, beginning in verse number 9 of Matthew 6. In this manner, therefore, pray. Jesus says, do it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, if you're like me, I referenced being a teenager a few times this morning. You probably didn't have to look down at it, right? Because you might have said it all the time as a young person. I remember being a junior high student and playing basketball. And before we started each game, before we ran out of the locker room together, right, we'd all gather in a circle. We'd all say the Lord's Prayer. Never thought twice about it in a lot of ways. Thankful that I guess that some people were, were willing to do it and to mention it. But as we strive to think critically, is that something that we should be saying, that we should be doing? If you're familiar with this question or this argument, you know that most of it comes in particular from verse number 10. With the idea of your kingdom come. Jesus prays your kingdom come because the kingdom has not come yet. The kingdom at that time had not come. With the establishing of the church in Acts chapter 2, though, the kingdom has come. We can be a part of that kingdom. So, the question is, is this a great model prayer? And I think the answer is yes. We've said that. Jesus said, our Father. We've already referenced that he gives us a great example here. Is this a great format for prayer? Yes. Praising God, being thankful, praying for others, praying for strength. That sounds like a great sermon on how to pray. I think it's a great format for prayer. But when we consider exactly what Jesus says, maybe it's a great model and a great format, but not that we should be saying the same exact words each time. I will sometimes say, though not very often, but maybe just say in a, in a prayer, beginning, instead of dear God, dear Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a great model for us to begin with. But as we strive to think critically about all we read, we understand that we don't have to pray the same exact thing here. In fact, let me leave you with one thought, and it's in John chapter 17. And many of you are familiar with this, and you may already have it marked in your Bible. For as John 17 being the real Lord's Prayer, because this is Jesus praying in such a way, and while we cannot once again pray the exact same thing, because I think there are some different things going on here, if you turned over there, notice first of all, in John chapter 18, that Jesus is about to be betrayed and arrested. So he's praying in such a way that he's looking towards that coming, and he's praying for his, his father, <coughs> excuse me, to help his disciples. Verses 6 through 19, he prays specifically for his disciples. We can't do that. We can't pray for that any more than we can some of the thing that's said there in Matthew chapter 6. But is this not a great model as well, a great format? My Bible has some man-made headings, but it kind of leads me down the right track. It says that Jesus prays for himself, verses 1 through 5. He prays for his disciples, verses 6 through 19. And he prays for all believers, verses 20 through 26. We can't pray for the disciples per se, but we can pray for others. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray for others. We can pray for the world, for all believers. Jesus does give us another great model, even if it's not something exactly that we can say word for word again, but that we can think to and, and, and look to and think about when it comes to how we should pray. I feel the emotion here in John chapter 17. I don't see or read about the sweat like drops of blood, but before he gets to that point, I feel like here, as he has already washed their feet, 
and he's tried to encourage them, and he's fixing to walk out to be betrayed. He's praying with emotion for those who he would leave behind, not just his disciples, but for all believers. And of course, we can take some of that passion and emotion as well as we think about praying for others around us. You know, the simple answer to this question is, can we pray the exact same thing? Well, no, not the exact same way, but we can take the Lord's prayers, the model prayer, and here, here in chapter 17 of John, and learn something about them. I would leave you with the thought, as we've said through this lesson, of striving to be people who think and really think critically about things in all things. We say it time and time again here, but don't just accept what you hear either way. You shouldn't just accept what you've always thought or what the world says, no more than you should accept what our elders say and what I say just simply because of the role that we're in position we're in right now. You should think and think critically about all these things, including about our prayer life. We should examine those things and what we're doing constantly, constantly examining our prayer life, both that we're doing things appropriately, that it's as strong as it should be, as often as it should be. We should never get complacent. There's another wonderful biblical message. Never just resting on our laurels and thinking we've got it figured out. Always striving to be better in prayer, both in our attitude, in our actions, and even sometimes in the questions that we have that come up from others and even in our own mind when it comes to prayer. I appreciate your attention and thoughts through all of these things, uh, through all three of these lessons. And as I said, you know, my door is always open, the phone is always on and willing to talk and, and discuss any of these things further that you might have. But just be challenged to think deeper, more critically about all of these things, trying to find what's appropriate, both in private, which I think in private, we should be able to communicate with God. We should be able to tell him everything and in a public way that we do so in the right way as we lead others, uh, not just in minutes or seconds, but with our attitude and what we're saying and how we're saying it because our words do matter. We're about to, ex to extend heaven's invitation and sing this song as we commonly do as a means of convenience. I know we've been together all day. Maybe you've heard something this morning that has been in your life or, or something this morning that has affected your life, something that you've just now kind of begun to think about. Maybe it was something from class. Maybe it was something from worship. Maybe it's just being with your brothers and sisters that you realize you need their prayers or you want their help. We're thankful for the opportunity to encourage you to become a Christian or to come back to him, that you can repent of your sins and pray for forgiveness. And we're thankful to God for being willing to forgive us so that we can stand right in his eyes, that we can approach his throne in prayer. If we can be of assistance, let us know as we stand together and as we sing.